if you would take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, and Danny Perez will have that reading for us from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever it was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I'm not really asking for a show of hands uh, with this, but only to, uh, to get you to think about the question. And that is, do you consider yourself to be self-confident? Would you consider yourself a self-confident person? Well, I'll be honest with you. When it comes to me, my self-confidence kind of comes and goes. It's not always consistent. Some days I may feel like I'm on top of the world, that I've got everything together, that I know what I'm doing, I feel uh, secure in where I am, and it's, it's the, the attitude of, I got this. But that's not every day. There are some days when it's almost the opposite. When I look at life and circumstances and the things that, that I do and, and I think, what am I doing? Where, where did I get off? Where, what happened? And my confidence is not all that it could be. Mary could tell you how many Sunday nights I've come home and said, you know what, I need to do something else. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And I think when Scripture refers to, may not use the, that term, self-confidence, but the, the, the idea is there. And sometimes it's spoken of positively. We need to have a level of self-confidence in certain areas of life. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Some translations, timidity. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity. He's given us a spirit of power and love and sound reasoning. What Paul was trying to do with Timothy is to instill within him some self-confidence. And so in that sense, it's a good thing. But in our text in Philippians 3, self-confidence is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Paul was writing in this chapter about individuals in the church that were actually causing problems in the church. And the term that, that's, that is used to describe these individuals, it's not a biblical term, but uh, 
it's the term that's applied to them, is the term Judaizer. A Judaizer was a Christian who had come out of Judaism, but they thought that in order for individuals to be right with God, they not only had to embrace Christ, but they had to also embrace the law of Moses. They thought they could merge the two, and specifically Gentiles, they would try to, to, to make obligatory on Gentile converts the acceptance of certain tenets of the law of Moses. Acts chapter 15 addresses that, that issue, and specifically verse 5 of Acts 15 says that these Judaizing teachers taught that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they had to be circumcised, as one example. And so Paul begins chapter 3 by addressing this attitude, and he says to them, you need to beware of these individuals. Beware of the dogs, he calls them among other things. And so what they had done, these Judaizing teachers was, they had placed their confidence not in Jesus Christ for their salvation, for their standing with God, for their assurance. They had placed their confidence in themselves and in their ability to keep perfectly the law of Moses. These individuals who had come out of Judaism were the ones that had thought that through their own perfect obedience, they would gain or merit God's favor. And so to them, the favor of God was obtained when they kept the law perfectly. And so their confidence was in themselves and in their ability to be perfect, in their ability to place themselves above everyone else and keep God's law perfectly. And so in their religious heritage, and in their connection to the law of Moses, and in their personal abilities and accomplishments, they felt confident. Self-confident. Not Christ-confident. We're studying the book of Philippians this year. Remember our theme? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Our yearly theme for 2015. And so we're studying Philippians in connection with that. And one of the things that Paul is trying to get across in this section of Philippians is that if we would fulfill that responsibility, if, if we would strive together, work together for the progress of that singular goal, the progress of the gospel, then we're going to have to adopt as our attitude not a self-confidence in, in personal abilities, but in a confidence that's placed in Jesus Christ, who really is the one who gives us our assurance in Christ. We'll talk about that application as we proceed through the text. But let's remember that as we begin, that our confidence needs to be not in ourselves, because we're imperfect. If we're if we think that our standing with God is going to be determined and our eternal destiny is going to be determined by our ability to keep God's law perfectly, we're in trouble. There's not a single one of us that can do that. Now that doesn't nullify the need or the desire for us to do our best to submit ourselves to God's will and to do as He's instructed us. But we've got to recognize the fact that we can't do that perfectly. And so the basis and foundation of our confidence 
is not in our ability to do everything perfectly. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ in whom we trust who did do everything perfectly. And so Paul begins by addressing this matter of self-confidence in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And he essentially makes this point, if anyone wanted to place complete trust in self, no one had the credentials that he had. And so he's about to go through a list of his own personal accomplishments, things that were characteristic of him as an individual. Now he's not bragging in this. He's not trying to draw attention to himself. He's just simply stating facts. I don't know how many of you remember that old <laughs> that old TV show. I'm kind of dating myself, I guess, but I only saw it in reruns, okay, just to be clear. Remember the real McCoys? Walter Brennan? I'm not going to do my Walter Brennan impersonation because it stinks. But he would say periodically, he when when he was talking about whatever it was he was involved in, he'd say, no brag, just fact. Well, that's Paul here. He's not bragging. He's just stating facts. And so he says, look, but if anyone wanted to brag, if anybody wanted to boast, let's just line up our accomplishments. And so he begins. Verse 5, or verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcise the eighth day. In that in strict accordance with the law, that's where God prescribed it. Paul said, that's me. Of the stock of Israel, of the people of Israel, no Gentile mixture of blood in him. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he'll say in a moment. Of the uh, tribe of Benjamin. You know, it was from that tribe that uh, Israel got its first king, King Saul. His namesake, incidentally, Saul of Tarsus. From the tribe of, and the tribe of Benjamin, at the time of the kingdom division in the Old Testament, Benjamin was, along with Judah, of the faithful group when the kingdom split. Concerning a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Now, Jesus had a lot of things to say about the Pharisees in his life. And they had their problems, but when you line up among the divisions, the sects, of the Pharisees, the Phar of the Jews, the Pharisees were the best one. And Paul even said that in, in other occasions. He said, I was after the most accurate sect of the Jews, a Pharisee, Acts 26.5. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, Paul said, I'm a Pharisee. Well, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Sadducees didn't. The Pharisees were far above the Sadducees or any other group in Judaism as far as their allegiance to the law. Now again, they had their problems. But Paul said that's an advantage to be a Pharisee. As to zeal persecuting the church, his zeal was unmatched. He persecuted the church beyond measure. Galatians 1 verse 13. I persecuted that way even unto the death. Paul said of himself, Acts 22 verse 4. And concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, you want to line up credentials? Nobody's going to top me. He said, I advanced in Judaism beyond my own countrymen. Galatians 1 for, uh, 14. Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he was the envy of his peers. 
He was creating for himself a reputation in Judaism that would take him far beyond not only his contemporaries, but he was setting himself up in Judaism to be one of the most respected Jewish leaders and teachers in all of history. Remember when the Lord approached Ananias, after the Lord appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus and sent him into the city and he was waiting, Saul was waiting to be told what he was supposed to do next. And the Lord appeared to Ananias and told Ananias to go and uh, to this particular location where you'll find Saul of Tarsus praying. Remember what Ananias initially said? He said, Lord, I have heard many things of this man. Yeah, he had. <laughs> that was the reputation Paul was getting. Paul was creating for himself the kind of life, the kind of accolades in Judaism that would take him far beyond most. He was setting himself up for people to talk about the history of Judaism by naming things, individuals like Abraham, Moses, David, and then on into like the, the intertestament period, the, the, the Maccabee boys, Gamaliel, and Saul. He, he was going to be named right alongside all of those folks. So he says, you want to talk about self-confidence? You want to talk about the ability to gloat over individual achievements? He said, if anybody wants to try that, you want to start that argument, then let's do it. He said, I can, I can outdistance anybody. Self-confidence. But now let's consider Christ's confidence. With one stroke of the inspired pen, Paul takes all of that away. Look at verses 7 and 8, Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Isn't that an amazing statement? When you think about everything that Paul had done in his life and all of those accolades, all of those accomplishments that he had, every advantage of birth, every advantage of education, every advantage of reputation were viewed as completely worthless. He said in verse 8, I count all things lost and everything that used to be gain to me, everything that used to be an advantage to me, he said to me, now it's all rubbish. It's an interesting word. King James translation uses the word dung. I count them, but dung, that I may gain Christ. Some translations have the word refuse. You might have a, a reference to garbage. Well, all of, those, all of those English terms would apply. The term in the original language involved or, or was utilized 
in a variety of ways to talk about anything that was thrown away because it was deemed without value. And so if you were taking the scraps off of your dinner table and, and you were throwing that away, that's what this is, refuse. It, w- it was used to describe um, that, which the, that which the body uh, expels as refuse, as, as no longer useful to the body, which in, incidentally, which is where the King James translators used their term for that, it was used not only for humans, but animals as well. Paul said, all of those things that were advantages to me, here's how I look at those things now. This is what they're worth to me now. I don't want to be I don't, I don't want to be too crass. I want you to get that picture in your mind. If you were walking out through a pasture and you came across that which some of the animals had left behind, we don't we don't look at that and admire it. We we don't find it pleasant. It's not something we take pride in. All right, it's, it's basically repulsive. Paul said, when I look at all of those things that to me at one point in life were advantages to me, all of those things that he listed, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, my Pharisaical traditions, my zeal for my religion, when I look at all of those things that used to be advantages, all of those things that were creating for me the kind of reputation in which everybody in that environment would have looked up to me. I look at all of that, and I see what's in the pasture. There's your self-confidence. Paul said, that's what that stuff is to me now. Now, if that was all he had... If all he had was refuse, if, if all he had was rubbish, we'd be tempted to um, declare him completely spiritually bankrupt. But he replaced all of that that were former assets with one single item. These I have counted loss for Christ. And when he took that whole mountain of accomplishments and advantages and shoved them aside and replaced them with that one item, he became richer than anyone else in the world. That's how important Jesus is. And so he said, and that's how I view everything. I count all things. I consider all things to be rubbish when compared with Christ. There is nothing that compares to or is equal to knowing Jesus. Jesus even said, this is life eternal. John 17, 3. This is life eternal that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's it. You want to summarize eternal life. That's it. No God, no Jesus. 
He even refers to it, does Paul, in this text as the surpassing worth, the excellency. Verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you can compare anything to Jesus, and whatever it is you're comparing to Him, it will sink into utter insignificance. And so trusting in Jesus Christ will procure for us a relationship with God that you cannot get by leaning on your own strength, your own abilities, and your own accomplishments. Paul said, I gave up the idea of trying to establish my own righteousness, my own justification, when I trusted in Jesus. And so he said, as we sang in the song a moment ago, he said, I want to be found in Him, verse 9, not having a righteousness that of my own that comes from law. I don't want to try to establish my own justification and justify myself by perfect keeping of law. I want to be found in Him, having a righteousness, a justification that comes to me because I have trusted in the only one who was perfect. That's where my confidence is, Paul said. And that's where it becomes practical. Because it's when we start relying on our own accomplishments, when we start relying on our own strength, that's when we start thinking that Christianity is about us. And that takes us back to our theme. If we're going to strive together for the faith of the gospel, we've got to remember that Christianity is not about me. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my accomplishments. It's not about my level of knowledge. It's not about my anything. But when I think that it is, that's when personalities come to the forefront and problems follow. Because then church becomes a competition. Because if you're pursuing your personal agenda, if you're focusing on your ability and your strength and your knowledge and your this and your that, and somebody else is focusing on their strength and their knowledge and their this and their that, church becomes competition. It becomes a contest. We can't strive together for a common goal if all I'm doing is focusing on me. But when we realize that it's about Jesus... When I realize that I am nothing without Him. He said that, John 15, remember? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if that's true, it is, then whatever it is that gets accomplished in the kingdom that I happen to be involved with or that you happen to be involved with, it's not because of you that it happens. It's because you've chosen to cooperate with God and through Him and His strength and the ability that He provides, the work gets accomplished. And so if that's the case, if apart from Him I can do nothing and only through Him can I accomplish anything, then when something is accomplished, who gets the glory? Well, it ought to be Him. And so when I look at myself as, as a preacher of the gospel, it's, a, it's an honor to be able to do this regularly. 
My goal is that when you leave an assembly like this, my goal as, as a preacher of the gospel is not for you to leave thinking, what a great preacher. My goal is for you to leave thinking, what a great God we serve. Because it's about Him. Whatever we have, whether it's me, you, anybody, whatever we have, we have because He gave it to us. Where does that leave any glory for me? If whatever it is that I have, I received from Him, where's my glory? I don't need any. I don't deserve any. Because it's about Him. Paul said, all this stuff that I could have used to promote myself, he said, it's all a bunch of junk. It's, it's just garbage. It's just trash. When you compare it to the excellency, the supreme worth of knowing Jesus Christ and being found in Him. And so when I realize that it's about Jesus, then nothing else matters. My ego doesn't matter. My abilities don't matter. My popularity or lack thereof doesn't matter. Because it's about Him. Our goal in life, or at least one of them, needs to be to reach the point at which we can say, honestly, with full confidence, I know Jesus. Nothing else matters. I am complete in Him. Colossians 2 verse 10. If you are not complete in Jesus, and find out why, Find out whatever it is in your life. Maybe it's an attitude that you're harboring. It's a sin that you're not dealing with. If you can't be complete in Christ, if your life cannot have meaning simply because you are in Christ, something's not right. God said to Paul when he was asking for relief from his thorn in the flesh, remember the Lord's response to him? 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. Is it for you? Can you look at your life, your circumstances, and say, you know what? While I may wish this was different, while I may wish this part of my life was better, while I may wish that this particular struggle that I'm going through has been relieved, you know what? All that may be true. But I'm a recipient of the grace of God. That's plenty. His grace is sufficient. Where's your confidence? Is your confidence in pleasant circumstances? Is your confidence in your own abilities? Is your confidence in past accomplishments? According to God, when compared with knowing Jesus, all of that is garbage. But until we embrace that view of life will never accomplish as much for God's glory as we could. Pray with me. Merciful Father, we cannot express adequately how thankful we are that we can stand before you justified and, and righteous 
Not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is. We can't adequately express the debt that we owe. And it's like we sang earlier, it's a debt we cannot pay. But we're so grateful that you don't ask us to pay. You ask us to submit. And you ask us to trust in what Jesus did for us, and that we know we can do. Father, we pray today that our confidence would not rest in ourselves, that our confidence would not rest in past accomplishments, that our confidence and our focus would not be in personal abilities, but that we would focus on Jesus and that we would truly grasp the surpassing worth, the excellency of knowing Him and being found in Him. We pray, Father, that you would bless us as we focus our lives, lives of gratitude that will be expressed in our desire to do your will. May we always do that, graciously acknowledging that your grace is sufficient. And we know that all of that is possible through Jesus. And so for that, we thank you. And we pray in his name. Amen. We're about to offer the invitation of Jesus. If you'd like to open your songbook, why don't you go ahead and do that. We're going to sing in just a moment. The song that, that Troy selected. And it's an opportunity for each of us to consider where we stand today. Where we stand in relation to God. And as it pertains to today's lesson, maybe in your life you've been thinking too much about yourself. And maybe you focus so much on yourself and you realize how, how, fall, how short you fall in trying to live up to the things that you know you need to do. Maybe that's brought you some despair. I hope today you'll consider the fact that, yes, God wants us to be obedient. Yes, God wants us to submit to Him. Yes, God wants us to divulge ourselves of self-interest and focus on Him. But that He understands that in our efforts to do that, we're going to be imperfect. We're not going to do it perfectly. If we could, there was no reason for Jesus to die. And so He's there. His grace is sufficient for you. If you will come to Him and before Him submit your life. Maybe there's some in the assembly today that are not yet a part of the body of Christ. And so you need to come in faith, trusting in what Jesus did for you and turning from your sins, being willing to confess your faith in Christ. And if you will allow yourself to be immersed in water, you can contact the blood that Jesus poured out for you. And that blood will wash your sins away. Acts 22, verse 16. If you're a Christian already and you need to confess some sin that's separated you from God, you need to come back to your first love, do that today. Don't leave without being right with God. And if we may help you to do that, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.